Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Oh No No No, the Wraith Rovers podcast. Um, we are back and I am your host once again, uh, Duncan Cameron, to uh, lead a discussion through uh, Saturday's Challenge Cup win over Montrose. Uh, so Rovers won 3-1 and we'll uh, we'll dive right into it. It's quite a busy day for uh, a couple of the panel. And uh, with me today, we have, first of all, uh, Robbie Weir is here. Robbie, how are you? Yeah, I'm excellent. Uh, thoroughly enjoyable day yesterday, as you say, quite busy, but we'll go into that in a little bit. Excellent. Uh, Scott Fleming's here. How are you, Scott? Yeah, really good. Cheers. Magic. And of course, Blair Hopcroft's here as well. How are you, Blair? Very well, mate. How are you? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. So, as we say, uh, yesterday, Rovers won 3-1 over Montrose. Um, Callum Smith, Dylan Easton and Josh Mullen for the Rovers before Paul Watson uh, pulled one back from Montrose. It made it a bordering on a slightly antsy finish. Montrose certainly finishing um, a lot stronger than they, uh, they started, which is something we'll, uh, we'll talk about a fair bit. But before we do get into the game itself, uh, Robbie, why don't you kick us off with a bit of a review of the Oktoberfest um, event, we'll call it, from, uh, from Starks Park yesterday, which I know you, uh, you played a part in. Yeah, so really, really uh, fun event to be involved with. Um, Graham Kilgowers obviously sent me a DM um, basically on Twitter just sort of saying, just a heads up, we're going to have an event on Saturday before the game. It's a Challenge Cup game, so usually it was in the Rafe Suite, which would normally be used for hospitality. Given it's a Challenge Cup game, there's maybe a little bit of a less demand, so they wanted to try something new, uh, which, again, to the credit of the club. Um, so, so coming up for, obviously, Halloween, the anniversary of our, our um, 1995 trip to Munich, um, a certain Mr Scott Thompson joined, um, along with myself and John Greer, who is now delighted to be called of this parish, as it seems to be tied in. He was absolutely thrilled to be uh, sort of referred to as that. But, yeah... Um, just chatting about with Graham, uh, just going over sort of Scott's memories in terms of the, the sort of joining the club, going to uh, the cup final and sort of his experiences that were involved with that. Um, and then obviously, ultimately, the trip to Munich that we all obviously know the, the famous scoreboard. Um, it's interesting because obviously John's got so many memories um, and just chatting away with sort of Scott about like the the sort of experiences how training was before in those points, started talking about playing St. Johnson and the night before in the haunted hotel, they're getting tights sent to their room by a certain Jimmy Nicholl just to try and calm them down. But I've got to say, uh, just on a personal level, I spent a couple of hours maybe chatting with Scott Thompson and just a thoroughly lovely guy, just really down to earth, very humble. Um, and it kind of realised the gravity of like what he's achieved in his career with Rovers just by the number of people coming up, shaking his hand, uh, or some people kissing his hand, actually, as they insisted on doing. Um, but just to, to talk about Scottish football, a guy that just really invested, obviously, he's up with Ross County now, their goalkeeping coach, just chatting about how people like Ross Laidlaw, Ross Callahan are doing up there. Um, Reagan Charles Cook as well, we were talking about how he's doing in Belgium. And uh, yeah, just really down to earth, and it makes you realise just sort of the gravity of, of what's been achieved. A really enjoyable event, and I hope that there are more sort of opportunities like that in the future for the club, just to maybe get former players along to, to sort of talk about their story. Um, so yeah, um, if you did make it along, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, the panel was obviously... I, I, 
keep saying that I, I did have a bit of imposter syndrome because you're sitting next to John, who knows next everything about Rafe Rovers. Graham, who's just a fantastic presenter, and Scott, who's obviously a club legend, and just me, who started the podcast a few weeks ago with uh, my pals. So, uh, but yeah, a thoroughly enjoyable day, and uh, fingers crossed we see more events like that in the future on days like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it looked excellent. It really did. Um, so let's let's move into the game itself then. Um, we obviously sat down at the back end of last week, talked a lot about all the the rotations that we would uh, we would make, and um, Robbie, you, me, and Michael sat down and we we got our Subutio boards out and uh, swapped all the guys around, and then uh, team line came out two o'clock and there was fourteen available players. Sickness bug had hit the team. And uh, yeah, some guys that we'd said from the outset that we wouldn't risk at all, like Sam Stanton played, and guys that we said were guaranteed a good 90-minute run out, like Jamie Gullen, nowhere to be seen. So um, slightly, uh, slight spanner in the uh, in the works there. Whereas <laughs> Montrose, who we were, um, we really didn't get into the kind of talk about them too much at all on Thursday. They made huge changes. And uh, all their kind of notable guys uh, left on the bench. And I thought that was pretty apparent in that first half. Um, How did you see that first kind of 45 minutes, Blair? Um, Yeah, I'd agree. The the starting lineups for both teams were a surprise. But um, the the first half had a weird kind of pre-season vibe about it, I thought. like um, it, It genuinely felt like we cruised it. And it it felt kind of disrespectful to Montrose because they've had a bit of form. Like I was a wee bit, I wouldn't say I was worried um, going into Saturday, but there was a wee bit of kind of this might be a bit of a challenge. Um, and within the first fifteen minutes, I was like, this is this is home and host. Like they were all over them. Montrose couldn't get the ball out of the box. Um, at times, couldn't get the ball out of their own half. They had boys falling over at points. Um, weirdly. The other thing that really struck me, and I don't know whether it's just because we've been in the championship for so long, but the the <laughs> I'll put this politely as a man of my, my shape and stature, but the shape of some of the, the players in the Montrose team kind of set me back a wee bit. I was like, oh wow, yeah, forgot about League One. Um but no, it was I uh, first half in particular, I thought we were absolutely cruising. Yeah, definitely. Um that it was round about the point that Vaughn scored that the goal that was offside. Yeah. So exactly at that point, I was thinking this is this is going to be three or four without much kind of additional effort. It's just to fall in the pattern of this game. Um, obviously, it, it then it then kind of turned almost into the second half as you know the Rovers players started to tire. We only really had two available subs to make, and Montrose are then bringing on they're really decent players at that point. They're putting on fresh legs and actually improving with every substitution that they made. And the second half was definitely more of a, more of an event. Um, But what did you think? What were you, um, what were your thoughts on the game, Scott? No, I I, I can agree. Blair was saying, I thought it was a solid performance, but again, uh, I was chatting to a few of my mates during the game and they were saying the exact same, just, this feels like a pre-season game. Even I think they even mentioned it on Rave TV at one point that it felt like it was pre-season or just an early season game that didn't have much at stake. And I get, again, that folk don't like this cup and people go, oh, it's just a hindrance. And especially when you're doing well. I heard a, a Dundee United fan on the radio yesterday talking about how this is the first time they've actually taken it seriously since they've ever been in the championship. So... um. 
Uh, I mean, obviously, we had to take it seriously with the sickness bug anyway. But uh, no, I thought I thought everybody played pretty well. First half, I think we all agreed in the group chat that how is it not four by half time, and so uh, I I would agree with pretty much all of that. And I thought that Stanton, Smith, and Easton, the three of them were just running rings around all of the Munchos players. I mean, Stanton, some of the passes he was just taking three defenders out straight away every time. And then either Vaughan or Easton would have a shot and uh, it never went in. But no, I, overall, I thought it was yeah a good performance again. Uh, what about you, Robbie? What were you thinking um, watching that one? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't too worried. I'm never going to get too upset about the Challenge Cup. Um, but it was a solid performance. Um, players obviously did really well, as Scott's touched on. Easton, Stanton, Smith, all really, really good performances from them. It was great to see Connolly start. Um, just obviously gives him a, a chance to get a run out and a, a bit of game time under his belt because the games have been so tight recently. Uh, but yeah, you uh, you look at sort of the chances that we had. I mean, there was almost a, a really spectacular goal from Dylan Easton where a sort of long-ranged effort that could have easily gone into the top corner and you would have just put that into his usual goal-of-the-season montage that he continues to provide. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the goal itself, it was actually interesting because you look at it, and I think everyone looked at it at the first opportunity and the unanimous decision. We were moaning, obviously, about Alan Muir's performance last week. And I sort of says, well, you kind of take it with a bit of a pinch of salt because sometimes referees and officials can be a bit sloppy. That goal looked offside. Like, let's, everyone kind of thought, yeah, when's the flag coming? And then it never did. Um, and credit to Callum Smith because he's not got caught up with that. He's ran through. Um, I think it was Michael that said last time out that Callum Smith's really good at just obviously getting in behind, um, as we've sort of seen before with his previous goals. And he's beaten the offside trap if it was onside, um, or he's completely deceived the, the linesman one way or another, he's just played to the whistle, which is all you can ask for, because I think sometimes you see situations like that where players maybe stop and kind of take a moment. He's not bothered, he's just nipped through. Um, and yeah, he's um, obviously really good finish from Callum, and it's great to see him back on the goal, uh, goal trail. Yeah, that's you're you're back. You're absolutely spot on. That was the first thing when I put the highlights on this morning. It's like let's have a look at this goal again because it looked one of these ones. He looks so offside. You're thinking there must be some, something else here because the linesman's just going to flag that. That's a no-brainer otherwise. And it's um, the kind of the wide angle that you would normally want doesn't quite pick it up. So the best angle you get in the highlights is actually from behind the goal, the one kind of where the, uh, the, yeah. the what I would call the bugler's angle. <laughs> from the back of the south stand, and um, it does look a lot closer than uh, than kind of otherwise thought. For me, I think it's probably still that he's he's maybe gone slightly too early, but it's definitely a closer one. It's a slightly ragged back line, but as you say, when he goes through there, a lot of confidence in Calum Smith in those one on one situations. Um, he's very much the the sort of anti Greg Spence in that uh, that regard. Like, I really, really liked Greg Spence, but yeah. he seemed to he seemed to be excellent at getting himself into one-on-one situations, and then just never quite seemed to be able to make it come off in a Rovers jersey. Whereas um, that's a couple where Callum Spence had a lot to think of, a long time to think about it. Same with Josh Mullins' goal, to be fair. Yeah, um, it was like the one at Annan. 
where he's he's basically got half of the length of the park to run through, and he's just taking his time. He's, he's picked his spot, well. and he's yeah, and, he, and he's put it under the goalkeeper. So definitely, um, very kind of uh, very impressive with that. And I think the goal came at the right time as well. It's one of those ones you're almost so dominant that you go beyond a certain point still at nil-nil and people start getting a wee bit antsy. And I think that just was maybe threatening to start kind of sneaking in. And um, and I just I couldn't really put any worries to rest. It was only really... Can I, can I just come in on that point, right? The start of the second half, they obviously come into the game. Bit of pressure. Fucking people losing the rag. And I'm sitting yeah. there like, it's a Challenge Cup game, man. Just settle down. Like, we're, we're fine. We're going to be okay. It's like, I don't get why people... I, I get that people get invested in the game. And that obviously, everyone's entitled to their opinion. If you were losing the rag, fair enough. But for me, like, I just... Simmer down, right? Just tuck it in a wee bit and just calm down because aye, with this squad, there's always going to be the opportunity, especially if the game gets stretched, that again, Callum Swift can get in behind. Josh Mullen, you've got these types of players that when they come on or when they're playing, you've got that opportunity. But I just could not understand why people were losing the rag. I yeah, think even with the first goal when Callum Smith, I was munching my pie when uh, Callum Smith ran through on goal and finished and I just toasted my pie. I was no, no huge celebration, just uh, fair play. My favourite shout of the afternoon at 2-0 actually was get your finger out came from the back <laughs> of the south stand I'm like 2-0 up in a cup game against a team from the lower league who we are all over Yeah, um, but I agree with you completely and I think it's interesting when you mention Greg Spence because I think I was early 20s when Greg Spence was playing for us and I was probably a very very harsh critic at the time of Greg Spence but like you get a bit older and theoretically you mellow out a bit and you're a bit like ah fair play young lad probably a lot going on in his life um, and I I feel a bit guilty now about how um, sort of much I, I slaughtered Greg Spence when he was younger because actually comes across as a really decent guy as well when you hear about him so aye. I thought the um, just to go back to the goal and the, the onside offside thing I, I actually thought it was I thought Vaughn's I, I personally didn't I, and again there was no replay um, of the one that, that he scored and got chopped off but for me he came between the kind of two centre halves after the ball was, I didn't quite get how he could have been offside, but perhaps I think um, Duncan's right when it with the um, the actual goal, the Calum Smith goal. When you see that further out angle, the centre half loops and does that kind of coming out run kind of thing to make yeah. him look offside, um, and the ball's played to Vaughn and Vaughn misses it, and the defender misses it, and then it lands at Calum Smith. So I remember at the time thinking. Oh my god! I didn't even see Callum Smith. Like he came from, he almost came from nowhere at that point. But when you see the 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 wider angle, their left back, who's right beside the the linesman, is definitely a bit deeper. Um, I think it was certainly a bit closer. That in real time, it looked for all the world, he looked a mile offside. Um, I think it's it's one of those ones where you look at it and you think that's too good to be true, and then you yeah. start doubting yourself in your head because you probably don't realise how tight it is at the time, and then he's clean through because their defences fucking miles away from him. Yeah. Like, they're never catching him. He's away. When you watch Smith, he looks over his shoulder. Uh, when he shoots it up, he kind of looks back to go, have I missed the whistle? Because <laughs> nobody came with him. And he kind of uh, does that look of, oh no, we'll just keep going. That's fine. I'm absolutely certain though that uh, Adam Masson will be claiming that as a, as a deliberate dreaded pass for uh, <laughs> for Smith. The pinpoint accuracy. When you hear to, about uh, what Adam's like, I, I completely <laughs> believe that as well. He's, uh, from all, uh, everything that I've heard about him, he just seems a really enthusiastic long, young lad. Um, I really so, yeah. enjoyed that, that moment in the first half as well. Adam Masson picks at the ball and kind of comes out of defence and no one comes near him. So he just keeps going. And, 
it's the, no one comes near him. Physically, the it's the polar opposite. But it was like big Marvin Andrews against Green and Morton back in the day when he just went on a run for about 40 yards with the ball because nobody was picking him up. It was like uh-huh. watching that again. What I liked about that was you could see as he was going, he was like, oh, nobody's closing me down. Nobody's closing <laughs> me down. So he's, he's still going. Cause he's like, well, I'm, I'm duty-bound to keep going until somebody stops. But by the time he releases the ball, he's so far up, he's like, well, listen, the box is there now. I mean, it's, he just keeps going. Job. He plays yeah. it off. He's looking for the one, too, as he cuts into the box. Love it. It's like, aye, fair play. Quite right. That's, um, a lot of that's what you need, though. But that's that's how you, you create chances sometimes. As players are picking up. Sometimes you need your centre-half to have enough confidence to step out. So, um, no, just good to see. To, to touch on again. Um, just before we go on to the sort of chances that we miss, I just want to say, um, yeah, fair play Adam coming back in. Uh, really happy to see him get game time and just look a, a really assured performance next to Scott Brown because I get that it's not easy. You have that game against Airdrie where obviously it doesn't go to plan, but people make mistakes. So just keep his head up and stick in there. Um, and he's obviously, you're probably thinking, oh, I'm a centre-back, but I'm getting dropped for a midfielder. But fair play to him coming back in, so I'm really happy for the lad. And uh, hopefully it can do his confidence in the world of good and he just sticks in there and mm-hmm. can go and kick on because he's got all the attributes. It's easy to forget that he was probably... He went and played at Ibrox against Ryan Kent, like yeah. who was in the Europa League the season before. I don't know what Adam's trajectory like has been in terms of his career in the sense of like he was probably at school when that was happening, or just out of school when that's happening, and then he goes to Ibrox and plays against Ryan Kent, and to all accounts did reasonably well. Um, so yeah, really happy to to see him get that game time and just get that bit of extra experience. Yeah, Scott Brown actually mentioned that he was in the McMillan Club after the game. Um, John Greer brought him up for a, a blether and um, he was talking about he said actually quite rightly he's he's kind of shown that he's a bit disappointed not to be playing but getting dropped by a um, getting dropped for a midfielder if you like um, and Scott Brown was saying that he's got every right to to feel like that but actually every time he's come in he's he's done a job so yeah absolutely hats off to Adam because it's with, again we spoke about this last week but it's not easy when you're in and out of the team all the time to to come in and then do a job. But, um, yeah, he did a good job. Especially when, you know, as you say, played at right, uh, played at Ibrox, played it right back at Ibrox. Yeah. So even when he's getting in, he's not necessarily getting to play in the same position every time. That's, um, you know, that's never easy. But he had a bad night up at Dundee, didn't he? The, the, the quarterfinal last year. He kind of singled him out a wee bit. He did, but I think as much as that, there was a change of shape in that as yeah. well. Yeah. So they went to the back three, and I think it was, I mean, I, I watched that game in the telly, but I thought it was a failure of the system as much as, uh, more so than it was a failure of Adam Mass and individually. Yeah. And then that was really what was being corrected. It was like, right, this back five isn't working at all. And he was the natural one that had to come out. So I think he was kind of hung showed, out to dry a bit. Up. It showed, I, I felt it showed him up. It hung him out to dry, I, I suppose, is the best way to put it. Because it wasn't his natural position. He's, he's not a right-back, he's a centre-half. So to play on the right-hand side of a three is almost another position altogether. Um, and yeah, he had a... They, and to be fair to Dundee, they they noticed it early on and they went for him. Like, yeah. you know, and he, he, really, he did really struggle. And actually, to bounce back from that alone... Um, 
says a lot for him. He's got a, he's got a lot of resilience and a confidence about him. I think just from based on what I've heard from sort of anecdotal evidence of like people like speaking to like Davy Hancock and things like that. Yeah. Just in terms of like just is the the type of character that he is. But I think that it's it's good that he's getting these experiences because again it's not it's not always going to be smooth. And I think as well with the type of team that we're at and where we're at in the league, obviously we've been second top. Very hard to get into a team where stuff like that's going to get pinpointed. If you make a mistake, people will be sort of saying, oh, we've dropped down to second from top. That's a bit of a nightmare. What's happened there? And then there's a huge forensic analysis. But players are going to make mistakes. We see at every sort of level. Um, and again, it's just a lot about the character and just supporting the players. As, as fans, we obviously need to support players as well and just make sure that you're, you're sort of sticking with them and not sort of saying, ah, oh, he's pish, what's going on with that? Because I think it's very easy to fall into that trap. And again, players are just human beings. I've been become a bit more vocal about that in the last couple of years just try to sort of as a supporter you are there to try and encourage people and just you want the best for them so yeah why not it's not only for uh Martin as well confidence wise it's also building confidence for the likes of Murray and Colin Cameron to see them actually fitting in pretty well and not getting worried that all we need to play them if they can get confidence in them as well it just means that yeah, if this happens again in a few weeks' time that uh, we might touch on that if injuries keep popping up, then we might need to play him. And so if he is playing, then at least it's not, oh, he's not played for months and then he's flung in. He's been playing, what's that, his fourth appearance already this season. So he's actually had a wee bit of game time this year. Yeah, yeah definitely. He doesn't look out of place. No. Which is the main thing, because you, you've seen that before. Um, I think the one that springs to mind is, um, I think it was Grant Murray pitched Colin Watson into a derby Colin at East End Park. Colin Wilson, that was exactly what You know what, the, um, the weird thing about that one was that he played up in, uh, against Ross County in a League Cup game. We scalped them 4-1 the week, uh-huh. uh, midweek before. So he, oh, had a yeah. really, he seemingly had a really good game that game. Great. And then gets put into the derby. And I think he'd like broken his wrist or something like that's that. That's what I was going to say. He did have a Aye. broken arm at the time, which is Aye. not ideal. Um, but that's... Never that, again. Yeah. Aye. And, and I mean, that was the thing, because clearly he was struggling in that game. But it was it was exactly that. He got taken off, I think, at half time, And they, you mm-hmm. just never never saw him again. Never never came back to, to any point at all. Whereas, yeah, the, these... Um, well, Adam Aston that we're talking about, you know, he doesn't look out of place. He obviously has learning to do. He's by no means, you know, the perfect defender for this level. But he's contributing. He's He's got an assist to his name now. And uh, he did his defending well yesterday as well. Um a goal as well, didn't he? Scored the scored in the last round. Yeah, he scored in the last round. It was a really good finish. He ran on it yeah. at a six-yard box at a corner, short corner routine, and then he runs on it and finishes from about two yards out straight in, and it's brilliant. I think it's worth mentioning, I know we'll get kind of further into the game and stuff, but there's a, a point in the second half, I, I can't imagine if it's when Easton was down injured, but there was a kind of break in play, and like kind of moments before it, the ball had come in, and Dabrowski had let it bounce in the box, and it was one of those moments of, what are you doing? But it bounces, and he, he claims the ball, and <clears throat> kind of game rolls on, but it's Adam Masson who comes back, and it's literally talking you can see it because Adam like talks with his hands as well so he's talking him through and he's, he's motioning you know the bounce of the box and he's he's doing that whole thing but it's I mean a kid his age I mean Dabrowski will be older than him yeah Dabrowski's a lot older than him he's like yeah. six years yeah. older than him I think but he's talking him through what happened and he's encouraging him and I thought it was actually fair play like he, yeah. he stepped up yesterday yeah definitely so if we do if we do move into the second half then um, Dylan Easton 
sort of scored and was uh, was clattered at the same time. Before we get into the actual finish, though, I thought that goal was maybe the best example we've seen so far this season of what that attacking unit can do and what they do really well. In as much as the move kind of starts with Lewis Vaughan on the left-hand side, sort of nominally where Easton should be, he then cuts it into Stanton, who's where Vaughan should be. Like they're all taking up each other's positions. Yeah. And then uh, it comes in Easton with a finish. He gets just a very good finish, just kind of sweeping that across. And then, um, yeah, it sounds like hopefully not as bad as first feared, because um, it certainly didn't look good in the the kind of the initial seconds. Um, Scott, you probably had the best view of that, given you saw it on uh, on Wraith TV. We were at the other end. How did you did you see the goal first of all, and then then sort of how that injury unfolded as well? I just touching on what you were saying about the play. It- it just shows that it looks like Ian Murray's really encouraging the guys to just almost manage the game themselves in situations of, oh, he's moved out, right, I'll just go and swap one because he's nearer where I am just now and so on and so forth. And the goal kind of came from how we were playing in the first half as well, of Stanton threading balls through, taking a couple of defenders out of the game. This time it was actually Vaughn that had kind of flicked it through and then it was Stanton sweeping it across to Easton. And as you say... Easton was kind of where you'd expect that's to be Vaughn to be scoring. But um, no, I thought they all contributed both halves. But uh, And then touching on it, the goal itself, yeah, it was Easton swept the ball pretty well into the corner. But at first, it didn't even look like he'd, the defender had connected one with the angle that he got. But then when it was the highlight, the, the replay of it, then you do see that the boy kind of just, as he's went to probably try and get in the way of the ball, he's just came through and taken Easton Wilm. And there's a guy in the way of the camera for Munchos that you can't quite see the full impact. But at first I thought he's either like completely like broken his ankle or something, the way that everybody frantically was waving their hands, the referee included, that I was just like, oh, this is... <laughs> when you're also down to two guys on the bench, you're going, this couldn't get any worse right now. And then, luckily, he, the good thing is he walked off himself. So yeah. that's... And he, he was... Even then, his flip-flops were a bag of ice. It wasn't he? like he was on crutches. I know we must be paying a fortune for crutches right now because <laughs> how many injuries we've got. But it was good that he was kind of limping and walking around and it wasn't he? like he was... He couldn't put any weight on it. Yeah, I, I thought that when he when he made it to the touchline, obviously Ian Murray was asking him how he was, and you could see him sort of gesturing. It was very much like an impact injury, which he looked sort of like it was caught on the outside of his leg. Which, yeah, I mean, first fear you're you're always um, always worried that it's it's something where he's twisted and it's something in his knee. Hopefully, if it is just an an impact injury, it's uh, it's not too bad. Um, given we we only had you know two outfield substitutes. Um, for that being the first enforced injury, obviously at least Josh Mullen could come in sort of like for like, and he got a goal himself. Uh, a little bit like we're saying with um, Callum Smith, he's got a long, long time to think about that finish and uh, does does very well with it. We saw in in sort of pre-season, Josh Mullen's finishing was excellent, and he's not had too many chances actually in the kind of competitive stuff. So that hopefully um, do him a lot of good confidence-wise. We had touched on it last week, actually. Sorry uh, that. There's a lot of times that Josh Mullen's been very unselfish in terms of crossing the ball or looking for somebody else when he's at the edge of the box and go, just have a ping. Like, there's nobody's going to get on it. 
The only people that folk might get on it is Gullin and Vaughn because they sometimes are a bit selfish, but they're strikers, so you kind of expect that for them. But Mullen definitely, there's been plenty of times that he, not just last week, but this season, that he probably could have taken a shot and it was actually better to take the shot. But yeah. He's, uh, I was just going to say to chip in exactly the same thing with Callum Smith. One on one with the keeper, obviously, he'll, he'll take his chance, but he's always looking. Always looking to square it, always looking to slot something. There was yeah. one yesterday in the first half. He kind of broke through on the right-hand side and he just needed to bury it. And he tried to kind of put it through to Vaughan and the defender kind of cut it out. But it's the same thing, like just put your laces through it. And then um, Montrose then got one back. I'm, I'm, in the interest of time, I'm going to compress two points together here and it's going to sound like I'm picking on him a wee bit. But... Um, Scott Brown was the sponsor's man of the match yesterday. Also, though, potentially at fault for that goal, Robbie? Do you think so? Uh, I mean, yeah, but I'm I'm reluctant to criticise the guy because he's done really well since he's been playing in defence. And again, there's obviously there's we're going to have sort of these goals that are going to come up and be conceded at points. We're never going to be completely flawless throughout the season. Ideally, if you can get a clean sheet, great. But yeah, um, I'm not going to get too upset about it again. Challenge Cup, as, as long as we keep the wins on the go, then fine by me. Yeah, I, that, was a, that was a slightly miss, uh, a slightly mean-spirited question because that's yeah. Uh, I think that's exactly the kind of goal that you're going to lose when you're playing a midfielder in defence. Yeah, and you do you just have to accept it. It's a little bit like we said at the start of the season. You know, you sign a goalkeeper who's only played thirty senior games previously, or you know, last season we brought Ryan Nolan in. And it's like, okay, here's a defender who's not played very many games. You accept that the risk comes with making that decision. If you're going to play a midfielder in um, defence, what's going to happen is he's going to lose headers sometimes. And I think that's exactly what happened at that goal. Um, you know, Paul Watson, I think, is just naturally better in the air than Scott Brown is. And he, he does well with that. But to to kind of expand on that point slightly then, in terms of the man of the match, who would have been your pick player? Um, although he didn't play the full game, for me, probably still Dylan Easton. Um, I thought first half in particular, he was ridiculously good. Um, like, actually, all over them. And every time he got the ball, his tail was up and he was running. Um, I thought he had, a, he had a particularly good game. Adam Masson probably would have been the other one for me. Um, that I would have given the nod. I I agree. It was that moment of when they announced the man of the match. Um, I wonder if his mum and dad had sponsored the game because it wasn't <laughs> like he had a bad game, but it was one of those moments. I mean, you sometimes hear it in the south stand as well. That moment of what? Hep- really? <laughs> um, and it was one of those. He didn't have a bad game, but he didn't stand out by by any stretch. Yeah, that that was that was my thoughts on it. It was really a case of everybody played well. That was a yeah. good a good performance. Everybody played well, but if you were starting to sort of go by process of elimination to find someone, so we did we did concede one, and there was one guy beaten in the air for it. So maybe I'd have put a line through him sort of first, and then yeah. worked through. Um, what about you, Scott? Who would you have had as your uh, your man of the match yesterday? Uh, to be honest, you could have given it to any one of that front four. That uh, it was uh, that's who I was expecting it to be one of them for, but then yeah, <laughs> when it was Brown that was announced, you kind of go, all right. <laughs> yeah, so, but okay. uh, I, I, as you say, I, I didn't think he had a bad game, but I just thought because we didn't get a clean sheet, it'll go to one of the boys up front. But 
I, I probably would have given it to Stanton. Just again, he he just looks like he. It almost looks like he's not even caring when he's on the ball. He just runs like like, like and everybody doesn't catch him, and yet he doesn't look like he's running fast. Yeah. He just he's just gliding, and then he just picks out a pass, or he just runs past another guy. And no, I, I thought he was really good yesterday again, and possibly one of our best players this season. Absolutely. Robbie, I'm interested to hear your man of the match because there's a good chance here that between the four of us, we might have picked a different individual from that front four. So who would you have had? Right, Callum Smith. Yep, I've got Lewis Vaughan as mine. So oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like that's that's an excellent uh, an excellent demonstration of how good a, a unit that front four is. Is that um I'll let you to explain your choice. This podcast is um, <laughs> yeah, Callum Smith, I thought that just uh, a superb finish in the first half and he was just everywhere. Um just looked really thriving, just happy to be out on the pitch and doing his thing. Um just you you always get the feeling that he's gonna have at least one opportunity in the game. And like Blair touched on, he, he did come in and if he maybe could have had a couple of goals, given that he, he sort of had that one on the right-hand side where he opts to cut it back rather than shoot, if he maybe taken the shot, could have had one that was low across the goal like he did against Morton. Uh, but yeah, just a, a, a real player that I've I've been pleasantly surprised by when um, he's sort of signed for us. And obviously, again, you see the, the sort of, I think Jack Hamilton sort of grabs the headlines when you look at our summer signings. And obviously, Dubrovsky and Mullen. Mullen's got the track record at this level. Dubrovsky's been reasonable for Queen of the South um, and sort of had those glowing reviews wherever he's played. Whereas Callum Smith, it was kind of like, you've seen him at Dunfermline and Ake's before. Um, and Ian Murray just seems to be able to pull the best out of the guy. Um, because you, you look at what the Airdrie fans were saying last season, and they were saying he wasn't as good last season, but the season before under Murray, he was unplayable, and he probably would have moved on if his contract was sort of up there, but I think he was just enjoying it. Um, so, yeah, I've been I've been thoroughly impressed with Smith so far, and I think that yesterday was just another performance that just sort of reinforces that viewpoint that he's just been a very, very good signing. Probably, I would say, the signing of the summer so far. But again, we can look at that in a future podcast when we're going over things. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, I am, when he first signed, I definitely, I didn't write him off, but I wasn't, I wasn't enamoured. I wasn't excited about it. I thought he was going to be another Jamie Gullen, to be honest. Um, a guy who'll come in and work hard, but maybe no offer the goals that, that we needed. Um, and I think credit to him as well, because I don't think he had a particularly good game last week. Um, nothing seemed to stick for him. His first touch kind of let him down a few times against United. Um, but to come back in this week and play as well as he did. Um, but yeah, I think Robbie's hit the nail on the head there. I think he's been a great signing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree entirely. And I think, um, as he, for me, I'd have had Bon as my man in the match, but for almost the same reasons, as we've said, for you could pick any one of that, that forward unit. Um, I think that's when he's at his best, when he's just sort of operating really wherever he wants in that, you know, in the opposition's half. And he was kind of at the heart of a lot of good stuff. Didn't get his goal in the end, but um, yeah, it really, really good for him. Really good. Uh, he had the assist for Mullen, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, Aye. really good ball. Aye. Yeah. I, I said yesterday the the Lewis Vaughan knows where that Montrose pass is going before the boy decides he's playing it. Mm-hmm. Like he looks up and he goes to play the pass, and Vaughn's already halfway across it, and he takes a couple of touches and then just plays. I think it's outside of his foot. He plays Josh Mullen, and Josh Mullen then got about a quarter of the park to himself, and it's uh, it's a very good finish. Yeah, really good. That um that probably takes us through uh through yesterday's game, which One um, final point. Um, yeah. 
and I'm I'm going to do this as, as the sort of fanboy of him, um, just based on his family sitting behind me as a shout out for Callum Hanna. Um, oh, of course. His debut. Yeah. Um, came off the bench to replace Sean Byrne um, and played, must have been about like 20 minutes, 15 minutes of the game. Um, Ian Murray does say in his sort of post-match that he's been kind of itching to, to play Callum. And I know sort of personally that Callum's obviously, is, I think it must be frustrating when you go and play every Saturday for Cody and Dyser and then you go in and you can't get a game because obviously it's, it's a, a big jump in quality. But he's obviously, he's going to learn. Um, and, and I'm not even a family member and I'm really fucking proud of him. Um, <laughs> like just... Watching him grow up as being a teenager, and then he's going through, obviously, he's Fife Elite, and then goes to Dunfermline, leaves Dunfermline to play for Cody and Dyser, uh, made that choice himself. And I think it would be very easy at his age to sort of say, I'm going to go out on the lash, or going to go out every other weekend and, and do this or that. But he's just knuckled down, and I think in the summer, the penny sort of dropped that he's got this opportunity to go and play senior football. Um, he's obviously it's well a lot's made the fact that he is a Rovers fan but he's also a bloody good footballer as well um, and deserves a lot of credit for, for where he's at and um, obviously he's got a lot of work to do in, in the sense that like he's just new to the professional game but at the same time credit to him for, for getting to where he's at and hopefully it's the start of a really long and successful career for him um, because again just on a personal level just want to see the lad do well whether it's with Rovers or with another senior club um, just really hope that he can can kick on, and I I don't think he looked out of place at all when he was there. I think maybe first five or ten minutes you could tell naturally you're coming on, you're making your debut in front of a lot of people that you know for the club that you support and you want to do well. Obviously, going to be fucking shitting yourself, which is fair. But then he settled into the game, had a few touches, uh, had a few clearances as well, um, and he had one run where he managed to get past his uh, the lad on the wing and uh, get, a, get a sort of pass off. So yeah. Um, Interested to hear your guys' thoughts, and I won't hold it against you. A game you like yesterday is definitely uh, the sort of game that you're expecting him to get maybe 20 minutes. I know it helped even more that we had two subs on the bench, and he was likely going to have to play anyway, just because not everybody's able to last the 90 minutes. But I think I was chatting to my dad about this when we signed him. I reckon that I, I thought, oh, well, we'll just loan him straight back to Kirkcaldy and Dyser. I actually think Ian Murray has looked at it and went, let's show this guy what full-time football's like and show him Monday to Friday what it's like with the training. Take Keep keep him on the bench every Saturday, show him what it's like on a game day. And then he will get his chance eventually. It will probably come in a Challenge Cup match, but then it might be next season that we look to loan him out. So once he's actually had a full year of full-time football in about it, then he at least can go out and loan with a bit more confidence and going, well, I can belong in full-time football sort of so, thing. See, see, to expand on that, Scott, um, just to say as well, I was I sorry, didn't really get round to this point, and I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast, but Callum obviously is a Rovers fan, which is great, but he's no here on a, a sort of fan or win a fan experience of and get yeah. a contract. He's there because he's a bloody good footballer and um, deserves, his, uh, deserves his opportunity because you don't get trials with the clubs that he's had without having something about you. Um, and it's clubs that are not local to us. It's one up by, obviously, I think it was Peterhead and Sterling that he was, sort of had trials with before. Um, so, yeah, it's, again, it's not this sort of... And anyone at the club will tell you that, that he um, deserves his opportunity and that he'll, he's obviously he's a prospect and that if he works hard, that he'll get his opportunities. So, yeah. Yeah, I was just to add to that, I'm a, <clears throat> so my day job, obviously, I'm a teacher, but I've been involved with school football for years and I'm involved with the, the Fife 
um, set up effectively. And um, Callum played for the 18s um, last year and got picked up by the Scottish schoolboys. So for years in Fife, we've had this massive issue with the SSFA for a long time about you go to a trial and it's who does he play for and who does he play for and who does he play for. So your team's basically picked before the trial happens. You've got, you know, your Rangers, Motherwell, Aberdeen, all these kind of bigger clubs um, and the boys get through um, effectively whether they deserve to be or not. Boys that turn up the trials injured and still get through and it's happened for years. So for Callum to go to the, the Scottish Schoolboys trial representing Fife, playing for Kirkcaldy and Dysart at the time, and get into that squad and then go and play for, for the Scottish 18s. Um, just backs up your point, Robbie. He's there on merit. Do you know what I mean? He's he's clearly a, a talented boy. He's a he's a good kid as well. And he's I, I actually know his mum. I worked with her at, at Beath. And um, if anybody ever been ever been to an away game and heard somebody shouting at Fice Finest for shouting at a Rovers player, I guarantee you it's his mum. She is. She's right. She's there, and it's every time. She's, she's she's Kevin McDonald. so funny as well because um, you you'll know uh, you'll know his granddad as well, and uh, his granddad and her just back and forth between the two of them. They're absolutely brilliant. I've got so much time for them, and they're just really thoroughly good human beings. Just lovely as well, and uh, it's good to see um, Sandy's wife Fiona as well. She's back at the games now because she'd been. Uh, sort of in hospital for a wee bit um, after sort of an injury, so it's great to see her back at the games and obviously um, involved. So, ah, fantastic! Just a really, really good family. And great. like I first said when he signed, just good things happening for good people. That's that's the best way that I can put it. Hundred percent. And uh, I think we're we're likely to see a fair bit more of them um, coming up. Not least because it seems like the uh, the injury crisis that we, we almost thought we'd put behind us for, for like a good four and a half minutes is back already. Um, so yesterday, I think we were missing eight, albeit three of those, I think hopefully just a kind of short term um, sickness issue. But it looks like I'm going to run through what I've got here. Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone who knows better. But we've got uh, Keith Watson is now, we believe, December before he's back. Um, Ross Matthews, we think, is sooner than that, but seems to be kind of shrouded in mystery. No great certainty on that one. Dylan Carr, I believe you get the exclusive. He said this to you directly yesterday, Robbie. He's December as well. Yeah, he was uh, He was up um, speaking at the, the sort of Q&A uh, with uh, Scott Thompson and sort of said that, yeah, um, December or so, um, and similar time frame for Watson. So hopefully I'm not... Um, Going to get in trouble and have <laughs> someone from the club sliding in my DMs like, what the fuck are you on about? It's all right, this podcast is unaffiliated for a reason. Yeah, um, very true. Very we've true. got uh, Robbie Thompson. I think this is from the horse's dad's mouth. He's back yeah. in training now, yeah, uh, or that, shortly. That was uh, what I'd heard. Excellent. Um, so then yesterday, the kind of shorter term ones, we believe Ross Millen, Ewan Murray and Jack Hamilton were all illness, a sickness bug that forced training to be cancelled on Friday. And then Jamie Gullen was a groin tweak, something like that. Yeah, I think was the. I mentioned that the bounce game against Hearts B. Um, yeah. Jamie Gullen had tweaked his groin. Yeah, so you're looking at sort of four four longer term ones and four shorter term, but it still brings up big questions because to add to that, you've then got whatever we know or whatever we find out about Dylan Easton from yesterday, and then hopefully Sean Byrne went off injured as well. But hopefully that doesn't kind of turn into anything. But it does start to raise questions about how you best go about 
coping with that. And I think there's there's sort of two two perspective angles to go at this. And it's not one or the other, but I think we know from experience the way that Ian Murray tends to go. And I think you can either rely on the experience or you can go for the sort of positional kind of discipline. So good example, like yesterday, um, you've got, or sorry, not so much yesterday, previously, you know, you've got a gap in the centre of defence. You've got Adam Masson who's available, but he goes for Scott Brown because he prefers that experience over the sort of natural position, which is absolutely fine. As I say, that there's two ways to approach it. Um, again, we've seen a lot of Scott McGill at right back when you might have someone who's more kind of defensively inclined to go in there. Is that something that you guys, um, a position you sort of support or are you more on the side of the kind of positional discipline aspect? Because I have to tell you, that's the way that I would naturally kind of go. So, um, Robbie, we spoke last week. Uh, you were really kind of pitching hard for Callum Hanna to start at um, to start on on Saturday there, and I was like, nah, nah, not for me. I'm I'm doing a bigger kind of about turn here because I think if there's prolonged gaps in the centre of defence, I'd be more inclined to let Liam Dick come in, and I would just start Callum Hanna. I'd rather so, have a left back at left back than have someone kind of like Scott McGill sort of dropping in. I think but how do you a, feel about that, Robbie? I think it's an interesting point to make because I think that Ian Murray's maybe been a bit cute about it yesterday. Like, you start off with Scott Brown in defence, um, and then obviously you've got Liam Dick as a natural left-back, and then he's like, okay, can kill two birds with one stone here. Liam Dick, not familiar with playing centre-back, done it maybe a few times, but could potentially use the experience there in a game where Montrose are sort of in the ascendancy. So... Brings on Callum Hanna. He gets his debut. Fantastic. Brilliant. Opportunity for him to get a, a sort of touch base on senior football. Moves Liam Dick into the centre, which gives him that experience, and then you can put Scott Brown further forward. So, yeah, I think it, we're sort of... Defensively, I think we're a bit of a, a sort of... At a stage where we're going to have a bit of jiggery-pokery in terms of making players play out of position, having to take bits away from other parts of the squad. Because central midfield, obviously, you've got Stanton that can come a bit deeper um, and play next to Burn. We've seen that against Dundee United and Scott Brown sat there. Um, so I think that it was a good opportunity for Ian Murray to sort of maybe have a chance to, to see how that would work with Liam Dick there. Again, obviously, Callum is going to be very raw, but he's got a lot of talent there. Um, you've got Adam that can uh, also be available. So, yeah... I'll leave it to the wisdom of Ian Murray, um, simply, because I do not envy his choice. Again, it's it's the polar opposite that we've got from the other end of the pitch, which is we've got too many bloody number 10s. It's uh, a case that, yeah, we're um, obviously looking at that centre-back position, and I know that obviously we had a, a bit of a discussion before, and I'm sure we'll go on to it, as to looking about what options might be available. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, no real easy solution for it, but you've just got to hope that, again, that you and Murray might be back sooner rather than later. So that might alleviate a lot of the pro problems. It might be that we're just looking in terms of Keith Watson and that Ian Murray, in terms of his interviews, is right, that he's back very, very short term. So yeah, just got to, to sit and wait and see what happens. But yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a rock and a hard place at the moment, I think, when you're looking at this post-match against Montrose and with the, the injury problems, like you say, uh, seem to have reared their ugly head again. Scott, what about you? What are you thinking to the uh, availability of, of half of the squad at the moment? Uh, I'm probably more leaning towards yourself, Duncan. I've, 
I, I was already I've already put my team together for next week of what I would go with, depending on obviously players uh, being available and stuff like that. But and especially with the type of game it's going to be next week, I know you got whoever is on midweek will talk about it, but there's going to be a lot of balls in the air next week. A lot of corners likely to be blowing all the way into the goal and everything as well. So, And I'm pretty sure last year when we won up at Arbroath, Liam Dick was at centre-half last year. And it was one of the best games I've seen him play. He headed everything clear. He just looked like a centre-half that day. I would actually next week go with Liam Dick at centre-half and play Scott McGill at left-back. Purely just out of somebody that's more regularly been playing but also just he's a guy that plays loads of positions and he's already adapted to this level nothing against Callum Hanna, we've already talked about how he's just learning his way into full time football and he'll have his chance again but I just think it's far too early to be chucking him in and away at Hardbroke when it could be blowing a gale and yeah. the balls could be going up in the air and he thinks it's going and then he goes oh wait the wind's got it <laughs> I just yeah. think, yeah, experience definitely, and I think our broth are actually strong in the middle of the park where mm. I would want Brown and Burn to be there beside Stanton where I then expect us to win the battles in the midfield Yeah, At some point I will use this podcast platform to subject you guys and the audience to my sort of 40 minute thesis on, on fullbacks and <laughs> why I don't like centre halves playing fullback. That anyone who's had to, ever had to share a car with me on the way to an away game has already heard. But I um I've got a kind of long standing issue. It's maybe putting it a bit too strongly, but Liam Dick I think is a, an incredibly good defender. I don't think he's necessarily got the attacking attributes that you need in at least certain games. And I'm, I think I'm on record already as saying, I think two or three years' time, Liam Dick's a full-time centre-half. I just think that's the career path that he's, he's going on. Um, as you say, he's, got, he's played there for us already, and I think he looks he looks good at it. And I think that's where his, um, his attributes kind of lend him to be. And so I would be more inclined to start to use him there and then try and get a left-back who's happier going forwards. As you see, whether literally six days from now is the time to do that did, for uh, Callum Hanna. Did Laurie Ellis's career just leave you in a permanent state of confusion, just going from <laughs> left-back to centre-back to left-back again? To Yeah, I think um, I think I just I have like a an internal sort of... Um, like speed test for full-backs in my mind. And, and it's not even so much pace as it is like... If there's space in front of you and you don't immediately move into it, I'm like, that's a centre half. That's it's just a centre half. I've said before pretend. to my mates, he's the least overlapping fullback in the league by yeah. a mile. Yeah, <laughs> and you can you can get away with that sometimes if sort of on the other side you've got someone who really comes around because then you almost start playing like a de facto back three where you just move yeah. across. But with the way that Ross Mellon plays, I'm starting my fullback thesis already. But the way that Ross Mellon plays when he crosses from deep. What you actually want is a lot of the time, and you saw it with Regan Tumulty and Kieran McDonald, if one of your fullbacks is crossing from deep, the other one should really be actually an option where he's potentially yeah. arriving from that side. Whereas we don't really get that. Both of our fullbacks kind of top out at the halfway line. And I just think that when you're matched up kind of one for one in the other half of the park, that's really where you need to start getting someone forward so I was really pleased to hear Callum Hanna in his um, 
the excellent interview he did with Davy Hancock when he was talking about sort of how the move came about. And he was saying that that's what he really wants to do is to get forward. And then, Robbie, as you said, we saw that yesterday where he picked the ball up in a sort of classic Liam Dick position. And then he took two steps forward. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa here we go. <laughs> this is what I'm after. And uh, he didn't then rifle it into the top corner. Like, um, I think we all would have wanted, but it was it was good. That'll a forward attack and play. No pressure. Exactly. It absolutely will. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how that goes. I think we're probably not quite at the stage of, of as you say, pitching them in from the start next week. But a lot of it's going to depend on, on who's available. We're probably still putting at least one, if not two, um, round pegs into square holes for uh, for next Saturday. But as you say, okay. Scott, there'll be a, there'll be a preview for that, and we'll see. Hopefully, albeit um, <laughs> Ian Murray's um, Ian Murray's injury updates are are unreliable, bordering on um, fictional uh, at the moment. Uh, with Keith Watson's being like, ah, maybe next week, maybe next week, and then the boy himself says December. So he's we'll, got the uh, uh, supermarket option of uh, a calendar where it's like October and you're looking at the Christmas stuff coming out already <laughs> and you're buying your lead cooking in the middle of October. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I kind of just to chip in on the experience versus positional thing, I think Scott's point is right. I think it depends, for me it depends on the position, but it also depends on the opposition. And I, again, I actually wonder if yesterday, if you and Murray was available, if Callum Hanna might have maybe not started, but come on a lot earlier. Yeah. And it is that thing of it's pairings as well. Like, so next Saturday, if you and Murray's fit, I'd play Murray and Dick together. But if Murray's not fit, it's that thing of then who do you, who do you pair up with Brown or Masson or, you know, and it's that combination thing of actually, no, sorry. If, if, Next week, sorry, I'm talking absolute nonsense. Contradicting myself now. If Murray's fit, I'd probably play Murray and Masson together, and keep Dick out. But if if Murray's not available, I worry about Brown and Masson together. I think you need Dick in there to to kind of yeah, I'm going to say solidify, but Dick in there to solidify kind of takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? As uh, as you said earlier on, like Adam Masson was doing a lot of the talking in that defence yesterday which shouldn't, not that it shouldn't be the case, it's good that he's doing it, but it's not what you would expect. You know, I think I said that to my dad yesterday, just before the, the end of the game. We finished that game with two teenagers and two guys out of position as the back four. And at any point, if you had any one of those four in there, he'd be looking to the guys either side of him to talk him through, and we just didn't yeah. have that option at all. So, yeah, I, I agree entirely with what you're saying. Um, so let's let's tell you what, let's move on. We've uh, we've been going a good solid amount of time so far, and uh, finish up with our big question for today. And uh, today's big question has a rather mundane tone to it, because we're going to be talking about mundane encounters. It's a big mundane question. So um, this is actually inspired by something that happened to me during the week. But it's uh, any time that we've met Rovers players or former Rovers players in. Some of life's less exciting situations. So uh, not as they've come tearing past the uh, the byline, having stuck on the top corner and uh, jumped over the uh, the boundary wall. So um, I was in a training course during the week, um, a Zoom training course. It wasn't even face-to-face. That's how mundane it was. And there was a, a sort of a guest speaker who came in who'd previously been through the training course, you know, tell everybody it was all going to be all right and we could stop worrying. And as he popped up, 
and he had his name in the bottom corner of his little Zoom window. I was like, that name's familiar to me. And that boy looks vaguely familiar as well. And I didn't listen to anything he said, because I spent about 20 minutes <laughs> thinking, where did I know him from? And I was like, did you tile the bathroom in my old flat? I was like, do you, do you work in the pub that... And then I realised, I was like, no, you played 13 games in John McGlynn's first stint. So it was uh, Stephen Manson, who I think we had on loan from Hearts. And he was a really kind of skinny young guy with uh, very sort of 2006 blonde hair, big sort of like mullet, borderline mullet hair. And um, I think he, he, he kind of maybe maybe flattered to deceive slightly. One of these guys that uh, in that period where we got like four guys a week from Hearts, yeah. um, just getting off the stagecoach outside the ground, and uh, well, he kind of did all right. But I will say this: I think for uh, he must have spent every minute of the last seventeen years in the gym because he uh, he was like a, a wee kind of skinny guy at that point. He looks like an absolute unit now. But um, that was my mundane encounter this week with a former Rovers player, um, Robbie. Let's start with you. Uh, yeah, so this is this is a, a classic one for people from sort of my neck of the woods um, who who used to go to Rovers games in the sort of mid two thousands, early two thousands. I would say I certainly remember it being a thing when I was at high school. Uh, Jay Steen used to be my postie, um, so yeah, that was uh, that was sort of the the thing. And Jay Steen, he used to play for Rovers, but other than that, to be honest, I've not actually had that many mundane encounters with players. Um, the only other one that sort of came to the top of my head was. Um, and he was at Allo at the time, but um, obviously played for us before and sort of recognised. Um, used to go to the gym in Edinburgh when I was staying at Edinburgh. Um, Daryl Zanatta, I used to see him at the gym. And uh, just, it was funny because, like, I'd not talk to him. I, I generally tend to keep myself to myself. Again, with these sorts of things, they're there just working away. I didn't want to be, oh, I'm your biggest fan, etc., etc. Not that type of guy. Um, but, it was uh, it was funny because I went down to me and Kev uh, of uh, the first podcast and he'll be back on no doubt soon. Hopefully he's back from his uh, COVID stint very shortly. Um, we went down to Stranraer and I was telling him about it. And um, like the ball went out for a corner and Zanata looks up and he looks at me. And he, you can tell in his head he's thinking, where the fuck do I know him from? And it's ticking over, ticking over, ticking over. He goes, oh, right, are you, how are you doing? So, yeah, um, and then he he was the one that actually told me that John McGlynn was coming back. He was like, oh, you're getting a, a scout from Celtic. And I was like, I don't know who it is. And I was like, oh, that'll be John McGlynn. That's great. That's fine. Nice for us. Reagan Henry's coming back as well. Oh, even better. Uh, but yeah, Dario's a, a really nice guy. Uh, met him on a few occasions. I bumped into him um, at the end of the game after the cup final against Queen of the South. Um, and just chatting with him briefly there. And uh, yeah, just I know that I'll, he's had his fair share of critics, I feel, in terms of Rovers for obviously how things went. And he had that spell where he did really well. And then there was a lot of chat about like work ethic and things like that. But I've not got a bad word to say about him. Just a really, really down to earth guy, just really chatty and friendly. And uh, yeah, not uh, got anything bad about him to say. You can't keep him away for Rovers games either. He was in the away end at Fur Hill and at Lithgow Rose last season Aye. for a couple of different games. Well, he's pals with a lot of the squad, so it makes sense. So. I'm pretty sure he just loves the Rovers. But um, <laughs> Scott, what about you? Any mundane encounters? Uh, I think I said it into the group chat last night. I've not really came across any players in regards to outside of the football. And sort of, it's always been ex-players at games or... I mean, 
I played golf with Jason Dare, but it was purely down to the fact because John Greer knew that my dad knew Jason Dare, so he just paired us together. But and he's really nice guy, and uh, it was also good for me because I was only what maybe thirteen, fourteen at the time. So I was obviously I've heard about this guy back in the nineties playing for us, and my dad's like. Oh, uh, he's, he'd be saying to Jason, "Oh, are you able to tell him what this was like?" And what <laughs> next thing we're at whole eighteen already. But I, for me, it was great to hear about that. But and also, uh, Laurie Ellis was in the stand when he was Queens Park manager a few seasons ago when we won three one at Kelly away. It was just sat right. the back, hood up. I mean, it was crap weather anyway. But Anki also just wasn't what to be seen. He thought, "Well, I'm not gonna get sticks sitting here anyway with the Rovers fans." So, and he's got his notepad out and yeah, just a wee chat with him. But he was uh, also a bit of a club legend as well. So it was yeah, pretty cool when you come and just chat them. But it's also to the thing uh, they're all just normal people. Like they're yeah. no we like as a kid especially you kind of big all these footballers up, but they're all just regular guys. Uh, to be fair, I, uh, you've uh, you've got a bit of an excuse for not having too many mundane encounters. Like it would be quite a remarkable encounter if you just yeah. like went for your roles in the morning. <laughs> Stephen Simmons was also like in the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> um, Blair, what about you? Um, I've actually got a, a few. Um, for teaching, obviously, that you're getting a few. So I've taught Jason Deer's kids, um, and his his nephew and stuff as well. Um, I've coached Stevie Crawford's kid. Um, and a five fifteens team. Um, he actually quit the team because he wasn't getting a game. Um, and then there's been a there's been a, another couple. So one was um, coaching. I had a, a team when I worked at Queen Anne and Dunfermline. I had a, a really good um, under fourteen, so second year team. And I had um, Quinn Coulson was in the team. Um, Ryan Shavoni that plays at East Fife, and there was Miller Fenton that's at the Pars. Really good wee side, and we got to the Scottish Cup semi final. Um, and we draw St John's away from home, which is at the Catholic school up in Dundee. Um, and we go up there to play them in Perth, actually. It's a neutral ground because it's the semis. And Mark Whatley um, is the coach, um, which was quite good because we pumped them and then went to the final before it got beat. Um, so that was quite good. But my favourite, um, I have to say, and this will be, again, if you live in Kirkcaldy, I'm probably not alone in this. Um, so I bought myself a, a, a Kia Seed a few years ago. Um, and it was from Arnold Clark and Kirkcaldy, and it's one of these where you buy the car and they send you this little video of one of their, I don't know what they call them, super reps or something, going around the car, showing you how the reversing camera works and all the rest of it. And it's none other than your friend and mine, Lee Bryce, um, who's shown me around this car. And I remember still videoing the video and sending it to the group chat, like, Lee Bryce has shown me my new car. Lee Bryce, a, a classic of the um, get better every time he didn't play. Yeah, genre. Hansen, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. ah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, I tell you what, we want to hear your mundane encounters with Rovers players as well, either through video or face to face. But that will bring us home for uh, for today. So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, gents, for joining me. As always, you can follow the podcast or at sorry on Twitter at O-N-N-N podcast and on YouTube at Oh No 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 podcast. Um, as always, if you know anybody who's in the Rovers but hasn't heard the podcast yet, please let them know. And we will be back almost certainly Thursday night, if not then Friday morning, with a preview of the trip to our broth. So that's everything from me. Guys, I'll just give you the time to say goodbye. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening.
they've did the same back. Yes. We're all we're all holding on to this year. <laughs> uh, no, thanks for listening. Um, just to say as well, I want to say uh, a big thank you for Graham Kilgour again for yesterday uh, for getting that organised. John Greer as well, uh, just really uh, put me at ease in terms of obviously the the Q and A thing, um, and to Rave TV as well who gave us a small shout out um, um, on that. So yeah, I really appreciate obviously everyone that's. Uh, for those sorts of things because they do mean a lot as well um, and again it's just something that we're all passionate about but thanks for taking the time to, to listen and uh, we'll see you next time thanks everybody goodbye <laughs>